BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we show you the power of listening, teach you to transform how you listen, and unlock an incredible set of communication skills that almost nobody is using or even understands with our guest, Julian Treasure. Are you a fan of the show and have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com, or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. In our previous episode, which was a business-focused episode of The Science of Success, we shared how to recruit extraordinary talent and build a remarkable culture for your business with our previous guest, Deanne Turner. Now, for our interview with Julian. Today, we have another exciting guest coming back to the show, Julian Treasure. Julian is the chair of The Sound Agency, a consultancy firm that advises worldwide businesses on how to effectively use sound. He's delivered five TED Talks with more than 100 million views about listening, communication, and the effect of sound on the human brain. His latest talk, How to Speak So That People Will Listen, is in the top 10 TED Talks of all time. He's author of the book Sound Business and How to Be Heard, and his work has been featured in Time Magazine, The Economist, and media outlets across the world. Julian, welcome back to The Science of Success. Thank you, Matt. I'm delighted to be back here. 
Well, we really enjoyed our initial conversation with you, and I know you've been doing so much stuff since we last spoke a couple years ago, and it's great to have you back on here. I'd love to hear what have you been up to since three or four years ago when you came on the show originally? Well, yes, the book, How to Be Heard, is one of the major things that I've managed to achieve in that time, and that was published and has been very successful, and I created an audio book, actually, which I recorded here in a little studio in Orkney, which is where I live, a little island off the north coast of Scotland. And actually, that audio book won both of the major awards for best business audio book of last year, the Audi and the, the other one, which name escapes me at the moment. It's a set of initials. So, I, I mean, that was very wonderful and very honored to have won those awards for the book. I mean, it's a lot of fun reading it, and it would have been a weird thing to have somebody else, an actor, come in and pretend to be me reading a book, so it just didn't feel right. So uh, that was a big thing. Created a new course, which is online now, which I think we can probably talk about later on. And the TED Talks have just gone on climbing and climbing. Yeah, as you said, 100 million. I mean, that is a big number, and it's it's kind of it, – it continues to daunt me when I think about like a football stadium full of people looking at me. But it makes me very happy because – the talks are about becoming conscious. So I really believe now there's a kind of ripple effect because everybody who listens to or, or watches one of those TED Talks will be listening a bit more consciously and more co conscious of sound and what they say and how they listen. And that ripple effect hopefully will make a difference out there in the world. And then finally, the sound agency is been very busy too. We've just launched a new a new thing called Mood, Mood Sonic, which is sound for office spaces designed to improve well-being and productivity for, you know, I guess there are a lot of people listening to this who have to work in open plan offices and find it so difficult to concentrate in those spaces. Well, there's a lot of evidence now that they're actually pretty bad for us. The noise in them is the number one problem. And we've addressed that with some biophilic generative sound. And again, I, I guess we can talk about what that really means in a little while. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into that. But let's come back to this fundamental concept that you you mentioned a moment ago, this idea of conscious listening. What is conscious listening and how can we be more conscious listeners? Well, there's a, a great confusion, I think, for many people if they ever think about listening at all, which is to collapse hearing and listening. And they're very different things. Hearing is a reflex. It's like breathing um, or your heart beating. It's something that happens all the time. You hear everything to the extent that you're able to and the, the, to the you know the extent that your hearing is perfect you hear everything from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz you can hear an incredible range it's about a trillion times from the quietest sound you can hear to the loudest sound you could tolerate before it's actually really damaging so you know and you hear a sphere all around you 360 degrees I mean, you can't see all around you but you can hear all around you so it's your primary warning sense that's why, because you can hear things behind you. It goes very deep, very fast, right into the you know the very lower parts of the brain, precortical. But once you become conscious of the sound, and it's already had effect by that time, you know, a sudden sound will 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 have a an effect on you before you process it consciously, and it, and we respond faster to sound than we do to sight. By the way, um, once you consciously perceive it. That's where listening starts. So with listening, what you're doing is two things. You're selecting certain sounds to pay attention to. You don't pay attention to all of the sound around you all of the time. 
And then you make those sounds mean something. Now, that's where listening becomes really interesting because we all do that in a slightly different way. So one of the biggest things that I talk about a lot in terms of conscious listening is understanding that my listening is unique. So is yours, Matt. So is everybody listening to this right now. All of your listenings are unique. And it is a grave and common mistake to make the assumption that everybody listens like I do. That's at the root of a huge amount of miscommunication in the world. People don't listen like I do. Only I listen like I do. And I need to be conscious of that and you know, of the fact that I'm speaking all the time into a listening which is different from mine. Once I start to appreciate these, these nuances, two things become possible. One is I can be more sensitive to the listening I'm speaking into, and that's a huge secret to powerful speaking, effective speaking. And the other one is I can be conscious that I'm actually doing something when I'm listening. It's an action. More than that, actually, it's a skill. It's something that I can work at, perfect, become better at, just in the same way if I want to play the piano or play golf, you know, I have to learn these things and I have to practice and I have to become better at them. Well, it's the same with listening. It's a skill. Unfortunately, for the vast majority of people on the planet, they think it's natural and no work is required and we all do it in the same way. That's very untrue. So that's what I mean by conscious listening primarily is understanding that I'm actually doing something when I'm listening. That's the biggest opening to understanding how to listen better. Such an important point. I really love the idea that it's a grave and common mistake to think that everyone listens the same way that you do. I see that so frequently and it's really, as you said, at the heart of so many communication problems. Definitely, definitely. And once you get this idea, I talk about it in the book, in the course, and what, you know, when I'm doing talks to, to audiences, that once you get the idea, you speak into a listening, whether we're in a one-to-one -one conversation or whether it's one-to-many, you know, whether I'm having a chat in my, with my family or whether I'm standing on stage talking to thousands of people, there's a listening if it's one person, that's a personal listening. If it's a lot of people, it's a compound, a gestalt listening, which comprises all of the individual listenings. And once you start asking yourself that question, the key question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? That is such a great habit to be in, just asking yourself that question all the time. Then you become immediately attuned to it and you're able to speak in a more appropriate way. So, I mean, to give you an example, I might be speaking to somebody who's elderly and who has a slow pace, you know, somebody who speaks like this. And if I'm speaking really quickly, and that's my natural style, it's just going to pressure them. They're going to feel overwhelmed and assaulted almost. So if I am listening to the listening, if I'm asking myself what's the listening, I can slow down and I can speak in a much more appropriate empathic, sensitive way. And I will get the ball over the net far more times if I'm doing that than if I carry on in my natural style, assuming everybody's like me. That's a really interesting way to phrase it. What is the listening that you're speaking into? I've never quite thought of it that way, but it makes sense to contextualize all of your communication 
Two, whether you're addressing one person and, and what are their proclivities and, and what, how do they listen, or whether you're addressing an audience of, of hundreds or thousands of people. Definitely, because there are two components to communication, aren't there? There's the sending and there's the receiving. And we do tend to focus rather a lot on the sending. I mean, to give you an idea, my TED talk on speaking has been seen by, I think, five or six times as many people as my TED talk on listening. Well, that says something, doesn't it? We're very focused on sending and hearing and listening as a sense are very underplayed compared to speaking. It's a natural thing, I suppose. We want to make a mark or we have more control perhaps over what we direct out. Maybe it's seen as more of a statement of who we are. But generally, I have found, and I think it's true from you know, from history that the best speakers are also very good listeners because they're listening to the listening. They're conscious of who it is they're speaking to, and therefore they speak in a more effective and appropriate way. Tell me a little bit more about that connection between listening and being a powerful speaker. Well, I interviewed several people for the book, and it was a consistent theme that if you want to be really powerful in speaking, it's not enough simply to send. That's a little bit like if you're playing tennis, just whacking the ball over the net without paying any attention to where the other player is. You know, if you want to if you want to send, if you want to have a rally, for example, a friendly rally, you want to hit the ball towards the person. If you want to win the point, you need to hit the ball away from the person. You need to know where they are. And it's just the same in speaking. It's not enough simply to whack the ball over the net. What you need to do is to make sure it gets received at the other side. And that is very much about understanding who you're talking to, the, the culture, the age, the background. We have these filters that we listen through. And not only can you become sensitive of those filters in other people, you can become more sensitive of those filters in yourself, which allows you to start consciously playing with them. And there are things I call listening positions, which are very powerful ways of doing that. Uh, they're, they're metaphorical places to listen from, many stances or ways of listening, if you like. Um, to give you a couple of examples, and I do these things in workshops, I mean, it's, it's, this is a really good example of how powerful listening is in its effect on speaking. Um, one scale of this would be critical to empathic. So critical listening is something that we use a great deal in business. It's very useful. It's assessing, analyzing, discarding, uh, you know, what's in it for me, or do I agree with that? Or where's this going? Or can I get this conversation to move in that direction? There's this kind of little voice in the head going all the time. Well, that's fine for business, but it might not be appropriate when you go home and you're with your family. And unfortunately, many, many people get rather stuck in a listening position like that, and it becomes their kind of default modus operandi. Well, if you become conscious of your listening position, you can move it and you could say, um, well, actually, perhaps I would be better off in this conversation because somebody's upset in front of me rather than telling them you shouldn't be upset. This is not reasonable. You know, this is a small event. Don't worry about it. Actually, what I could be doing is going, I really understand how you're feeling and just being empathetic, empathic. So I do that exercise in classes from time to time. I get half the room to go out. Uh, each 
working in pairs. Half the room goes out and the ones behind, I brief them to listen critically at the beginning, which is to say marking the person out of 10 in how well they're doing this. So it's a really hard critical listening. And then when I say change, they move into empathic listening, really seeking to feel the other person's feelings. And then I bring the other half in and tell them to persuade their listening partner to go to their favorite place in the world on holiday this year. So they're very passionate about it and they start talking and it's like pushing water uphill. It's walking into the wind. It's really hard speaking into that listening when somebody's just sitting there stony faced, like marking you. And the moment I say change, the whole dynamic alters and the person speaking suddenly finds that the conversation is lubricated. It's easy. It flows. It's, you know, it's exciting. They're getting feedback in the style of, you know, the Rasa exercise I talk about in my TED talk, where there's, there's feedback for there's little noises, appreciative noises, and they're being given a kind of, there's a feedback loop uh, established where the listening is drawing them out. So that's a great way of explaining the relationship. Speaking and listening are in a circle, and it's a dynamic circle. The way I speak affects the way you listen. The way you listen affects the way I speak. And the way I speak affects the way you speak. And the way I listen affects the way you listen. Now, if we're not conscious of that, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. And that's at the root of many people's frustration where they say, nobody ever listens to me, or I can't get my thoughts across, or I can't make the difference I make because people just, you know, they, they, they talk over me. That's a lot of the time that's at the root of it, not listening to the listening. Tell me a little bit more about how we can start to try on these new listening positions, or even if, if we're stuck in a particular listening position, how we can start to move out of that. Well, the first access to it, which is one of the exercises that um, we do in the course, and I think it's in the book, the first access to it is to become conscious of your filters. So it's actually to spend a bit of time thinking about what the filters are that you have in play. Those filters come from the language you speak, the culture you're born into. And I don't mean that in the broadest sense. I mean that all the way up from Yes, possibly your nationality, but right down to the street you live in or the microculture of your family or group or your friends or, you know, the, the community that you're born into, those definitely affect your listening as you grow up. And then you accrete values, attitudes, beliefs along the way from your parents, from teachers, from role models, from friends, and you select some and you discard others. And that's where your road to this conversation has been different from mine, Matt, because you have selected different ones to me, I have no doubt. And then situationally, we have expectations perhaps going into a conversation or or any situation. Uh, We might have intentions as well. Uh, We might have emotions going on. There are things that change. So your listening changes all the time. It's not only different from one person to the next, but for each person, it's different through the day. You know, I often get um, assigned a speaking slot after lunch uh, because they know I'm, you know, reasonably proficient at this. And that's well known in the speaking world as the graveyard slot, because just after lunch, everybody's gut is working hard. Lots of blood's gone to the gut. Everybody's feeling sleepy, uh, less engaged. And it really is quite hard work to speak in that slot. So you have to, again, know that's the listening you're speaking into and adjust your energy level 
and the interest of what you're talking about and engage people that that bit more because otherwise it can be pretty a pretty hard slog to uh, connect with people so that is the first thing to do is to become conscious of your own listening filters and then once you're conscious of the filters you can be asking yourself and a, a lot of this is simply about being a, a more aware human being it's it's about awareness it's about mindfulness it's about consciousness of what am i doing right now you know it, it, going through life on autopilot automatically in a kind of sleepwalking state i think is a great shame because there's so much to experience and that's part of the message i have about sound as well because sound is so rich and fascinating and amazing and most people pay very little attention to the sound around them um, architects certainly do when they're designing spaces where they're just focused on how things look, not on how things sound. Hence, my TED talk about designing with the ears as well as the eyes. So I think there's this tremendous richness in becoming more conscious every moment. It's one of the reasons why I love speaking on stage, because I think when you're speaking on stage, you're you're very, very conscious of everything you're doing, at least if you're if you take it seriously and you really work at it, how you're standing, the gestures you're making, the connection with the audience, the feedback from the audience. It's its a time of great richness of consciousness. And uh, it's not a time to be half asleep <laughs> at all because you you know there are hundreds of people looking at you and it's, it's important. You have something to say, you have a gift to give them. So that's one of the reasons why I love that experience. And you know, I know that's different from many people who actually have a fear of standing up in front of people and talking. Well, for those people, practice makes perfect. Uh, there, are, there are cures for nervousness and so forth. And it is an amazing experience if you want to become a more conscious human being. It's amazing how important self-awareness is to underpinning consciousness and and really giving you the ability to look at yourself and figure out where am I struggling? What am I doing? What biases do I have? How am I acting and being in, in any situation, whether it's listening or or even throughout our lives? It's amazing. Self-awareness is such a critical skill, such an important tool for all of these things. And rather rare, I think, in the modern world. Unfortunately, we're seeing politics, which really started on my side of the Atlantic and then went over to yours. Uh, you know, politics of shouting, of polarization, of caricature, and that that's a long slippery slope. Um, it's you know the media are involved in this is this merry dance of politicians speaking in sound bites because they get interrupted so rapidly by aggressive attack journalists and and the journalists getting more and more impatient. So we get this shorter and shorter attention span and and you know the the old idea of rhetoric or reasoned debate completely gone really. Uh, now we're dealing with diplomacy in 90 characters and or 140 characters and and it's all shouting which is very sad i mean politicians go off and have talks i wish they'd go off and have listens because i think listening is the sound of democracy you know for democracy to exist we have to be able to live in civilized disagreement and there's a great quote by barack obama he said i like to speak with people especially when i disagree with them and there's, there aren't that many people who have that attitude and uh, I think the internet and the way we now learn things is making this more extreme because we don't browse. We don't go out there and examine all the possible arguments for a proposition. We go out there to seek justification for our point of view. 
to look for people who agree. I knew I was right about this, you know? So unfortunately, you get people more and more entrenched, hence trolling and, and so forth. The people, there's this kind of hatred. And it comes from one of the two big things which I talk about a great deal, which are two of the biggest holes in the bucket if you want to be really powerfully received by people. There are two habits which I think are massively destructive. First, looking good. We all like to look good. But if you're standing in front of a room full of people and your focus is on looking good, it's so shallow. People can tell. You know, I've seen TED Talks where it's clear the person has been so rehearsed and is so mannerized. Every gesture has been programmed and, and considered. It doesn't feel right. And that's why I talk about the four keys of powerful speaking, which spell the word hail, honesty, authenticity, integrity, and love. And the authenticity is really important, just being yourself. So I think that's, that's a, a big part of the idea of public speaking. The other really destructive habit, I think, and that's the one I'm talking about when I'm talking about politics and polarization, is being right. We are getting addicted to outrage, you know, and outrage is very significant because the easiest way for me to be right is to make somebody else wrong. And if I engage in modern media a great deal, there's a huge amount of making people wrong. Who's to blame? This is disgusting. This is disgraceful. This is outrageous. I am right. They are wrong. And being right makes us feel better about ourselves. But unfortunately, it's such an adversarial way to be. And there isn't, you can't be right all the time. And in fact, if you want to be a learning conscious human being, it's very important to be able to say I'm wrong or I haven't, or I don't know those rare words these days. There's an awful lot of, I know people. And uh, have you bet those? You know, it's very difficult if you're around somebody who's professionally impossible to impress. I know, I know, I know. If you know everything, what are you going to learn? Not much. So being right, looking good, those are two things to look out for. And they, they give rise to, um, you know, the, what I talked about in the TED Talk, the, the seven deadly sins of speaking. It's all based on fear fundamentally. And, you know, we are fearful entities. It's scary being a human being in many ways, worrying about what people might think of us or are we doing the right thing or, you know, which knife do I pick up or uh, how do I behave here or how do I address this person? You know, there's a lot of scary stuff just in social interaction, let alone the millions and millions and millions of people in the world who are seriously scared because they live in war zones or they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Uh, it is scary being a human being. And I, I totally understand how looking good and being right make us feel better. But I do think it's a big part of being a conscious human being to be aware of those drives and to resist them as far as possible, because they are not good for communication. They're not good for listening. And listening is the doorway to understanding. And that is something we need a lot more of in the world today. I couldn't agree more with both of those things, in many ways, those are two of the fundamental challenges that inspired me originally to create this podcast. And there, there's so many people that are focused on being right instead of trying to find out what's true. They're focused on looking good instead of improving and learning. And in many ways, echoes the classic fixed mindset from from all of Carol Dweck's research. But, the, but those are such important challenges. And 
you bring up a, a tremendously valuable point, which is that they both of those things inhibit you from learning. They inhibit you from growing. They inhibit you from from really understanding other people and being able to communicate with them. Definitely. I mean, my my whole purpose in life is to grow each day. As long as I can put my head on the pillow at night and say, I learned something today, or I learned how to not to do something bad, or uh, I learned how to say something better, or I, I had a new thought, or I had an idea growing. And that is surely purpose. So I think those two habits are enormously damaging to anybody who wants to grow. I want to change directions a little bit and, and talk about some of the other themes and strategies from your work that I think are really important and, and interesting. One of them is is formulating ideas with clarity and power and, and getting them accepted. How do you think about crafting, especially in the context of what we were just talking about in the world where there's so much noise and so much shouting? How do you think about really powerfully communicating and developing ideas? Well, there are systems for that, of course, and a lot of it is coming from you know, the original question we talked about, what's the listening I'm speaking into? So the first thing to consider is whom am I speaking to? What are their needs? Intention is very, very important in this. And there are several intentions at play when you're speaking to anybody. There's my intention for this conversation. I need to be clear about that. Uh, there's their intention for the conversation. And I don't know that. I have to guess it. Um, and there's my intention for them as well. What is it I want them to get out of this conversation? It's not all about what I want to get out of it. So I've got my intention for me, my intention for you or whoever I'm speaking to. And then the, I have to guess your intention for you. And you may have an intention for me as well, but that's even harder to guess. But that is the trick, because if you're guessing what the other person's intention is, and if you're clear about your own intention, you can align. And that really is where powerful communication comes from. It's it's consciously aligning. I think, you know, you can make contracts with people. So, Matt, do you have five minutes I need to talk to you? Well, that's a contract. And if you say yes, then I know I have got your attention. It's amazing how often we simply barge particularly in open plan offices, how often we barge into people's spaces and start yammering away when it's really inappropriate. No wonder they don't listen. They're trying to do something else. Uh, we are an intrusion. As Professor Jeremy Myerson said when I was doing a, a BBC radio documentary on open plan offices called The Curse of Open Plan, he said, um, you know, there are no rules for this environment of open plan. You, the postman doesn't come barging into your house and dump your mail on your living room floor but that's how we behave in open plan very often. So it's it's a Wild West kind of environment. Uh, and that kind of intrusion simply doesn't work. Obviously, you need to be clear about the content. I asked Chris Anderson, actually, the head of TED, when I interviewed him for my book, I asked him whether he thought content or delivery was the more important aspect of being a really powerful communicator. And he said, well, they're both important, but if forced to choose, content is more important. Because if somebody is saying something blindingly brilliant and they're not a very good speaker, you kind of bear with them. But if somebody is talking vapid nonsense and presenting it in a brilliant way, that's just irritating. <laughs> you know, It's a shame. So I think that's true. 
there are many ways of designing content. I'm a great favor of, uh, uh, fan of the old essayists, Maxim, say, say, say. Say what you're going to say. So I have a contract with you, Matt. Do you have five minutes? What I'd like to talk to you about is this. And I, I'm hoping that we can agree that. So you know what the context is for the whole thing. So you're feeling comfortable. You might say, no, I don't want to talk about that, in which case we don't waste our time. Incidentally, that's a huge mistake that is made by probably billions of people worldwide in email. They give you all the background first. Dear such and such, this happened, this happened, this happened. About 17 paragraphs down, you get to, so I'm, I'd like to ask you for this. Well, that's wasted because I haven't got there. I just switched off ages ago. You need to start the email with, this is an email asking you for this. Here's the reason. So there's a context. And I think that's a very important thing as part of the contract of communication. So that's say, say what you're going to say. Then you say it. And then at the end, you say what you said. So, so to summarize, the word so incidentally is very important. I put it into rasa, that receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. Summarize is so, a little word which is really powerful. Uh, it's a word, summarizing is like closing doors in the long corridor of a conversation. So what I've heard you say is this, is that right? Yeah or in a meeting. So what we've all agreed is this, now we can move on to that. You know, if you don't have a so person in a meeting, it can be a very, very long meeting indeed, going around in circles. So I think say, say, say is one of the, the most effective ways of ensuring that you communicate well with a contract, with the person to listen and maybe give them a reason. You know, I'd like to speak about this because it's going to give you this or it'll give us this or there's a, you know, there's a benefit here to both of us. Obviously, self-obsessed prattling is not going to be the most powerful form of communication. If it's all about me uh, and I, I simply want you to admire me, again, we're back to looking good, aren't we? And that's not a great place to generate from. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. A number of really powerful strategies and frameworks. I, I really like the say, say, say framework. And tell me a little bit more about RASA and what that is again and how we can implement that. Yes, it's a strategy more for listening in conversation, but it kind of affects both sides of a 
conversation. So the R is receive, and that is actually looking at somebody. It's amazing how much faux or partial listening we do in the modern world. We often have a device in our hand, you know, we're tapping it. No, I am listening to you. No, you're texting somebody. That's a different thing. It's not listening. Scott Peck, the American author, said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. And I absolutely agree with that. And do you know, I think there are billions of people on this planet, probably, who've never had the experience of being truly listened to, you know, partially listened to when, you know, I'm cooking or I'm doing something else, you know, I'm listening to you or the radio's on or, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about something else or whatever it may be. True listening, the R is looking at somebody and doing nothing else. It's actually, uh, it's a form of meditation almost, not preparing my next brilliant bit of dialogue, not thinking, not judging, assessing, uh, all of that stuff, simply listening to the other person. And that involves body language as well, you know, facing them. Uh, it's very often the case that you're talking to somebody and their feet are pointing out at the door or they've got the hand on the door handle. That's not a great place to be. Or they're slumped over looking at the floor or they're supporting their head. I mean, that's always a, a warning sign in talks, which fortunately I haven't seen that much, but I mean, I've seen a bit of it. And, you know, if you're speaking to a group of people, if there's a lot of people supporting their heads, the eyes are starting to go, you know, you know that you need to up the energy level. Maybe it's that graveyard slot. So the R is very important. It's, it's giving somebody a great gift to give them 100% of your attention. The A is appreciate. So it's little noises like, mm, oh, really? And if you're in front of them, raised eyebrows, nods, bobs of the head, gestures, little mirroring gestures, which show that you're with them and which oil the conversation. The S, as I've said, is so, the word so, summarizing so that you, you close those doors and you move on down the corridor with them. And the A is ask, ask questions um, before, during, after. It shows engagement and it allows you to tease things out and to help co-produce the conversation. You know, the, the aspect you've mentioned that I'm really interested in is this. Could you say more about that? So you can actually help to make the conversation more interesting and help the person to give you better value by steering it in the right direction. It's a very daunting thing to talk to somebody who's sitting there in stony silence, just staring at you and doesn't give you much feedback. So that's Rasa. Perhaps I'm naturally biased in this direction being a podcast host, but to me, asking is, is such an important part of, of listening in any conversation. And it's amazing how much you can, you can learn if you really consciously listen and then ask the right questions. Definitely. And, you know, people love talking generally. People love talking about themselves or about what they're interested in. So for those people who, um, you know, many people over the years have approached me and said, you know, people won't listen to me. I can't get into conversation. The best way to start is to ask, ask interesting questions. Really show interest. That's interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more is a great first question, if you like. I mean, it's not really a question. It's an instruction, but it it, it acts in the same way, doesn't it? So that it's that kind of drawing people out and then they feel excited like they've got a great listener and they're having fun and so forth and then they're much more likely even if they're not dedicated to conscious listening they're much more likely to be receptive when you start to speak i want to come back to something you talked about much earlier the blight of the open plan office and the concept of and i may 
mispronounce this, but biophilic generative sound. I don't know if that's exactly how you how you said it or not, but tell me a little bit more about Spot that. Spot on, Matt. Spot on. Biophilic means based around nature. So in the same way that people are bringing the outdoors indoors in a lot of modern office design with plants and planted walls and that kind of thing, it's good because you know, we, we like being surrounded by living things, by organic things, uh, by nature. And so pictures or projections of forests or beaches or whatever tend to make people feel good. And in just the same way, you can do that with sound. In fact, I think it's pretty weird to do it without sound. If you're, if you're having a, like a forest or a, or a garden wall or something in an office, why not have some nature sound associated with it? So it's biophilic sound. But our bi- biophilic sound largely in offices is based around water of various kinds. I mean, there are three um, key elements to biophilic sound, WWB, I call the wind, water, and birds. All of them, things that people like a great deal. I'm not talking about the, the extreme varieties. This isn't Arctic gales. Uh, it's not, you know, the cawing of crows. It's obviously the more pleasant end, uh, not a huge waterfall, but trickling, babbling brooks or l- gentle waterfalls. You know, there's a reason why people have waterfall uh, fountains installed in, in houses in hot places. It's to listen to it because simply the sound of it, you don't dive into the fountain. It's quite nice to look at, but the sound has an effect all the time. It's the sound of refreshment in, in hot countries. It's the sound of life apart from anything else. Get far, t- far from water, you, you're in big trouble. So the sound of water is a very important, pure, beautiful sound. Uh, we are, what is it, 70% water anyway. So it's a key sound. Water transmits sound far better than air does, incidentally, about twice as fast. So we use water a great deal. Now there's been research done, uh, especially by Professor Hongisto in Finland, on using biophilic sound, largely water sound, as a sound to mask conversation. And it's quite effective. Typically, if you want to create privacy or privacy, as you would say, in an office, people will install artificial noise. I am not a big fan. And actually, the research is starting to back that up. That My instinctive feeling, it's not healthy. You know, the kind of f- filtered brown noise or pink noise or white noise, filtered noise, of which I'm not, I'm not a great fan. You know, the kind of thing, it's filtered brown noise, pink noise, white noise. It's sort of that kind of sound gently delivered through ceiling loudspeakers all day. So you cease to become aware of it and it does mask out conversation. It masks out unpleasant or unwanted sound to a degree, but it's artificial. It's not pleasant. And the research is starting to show that it does fatigue people. You know, it's like when the AC goes off at the end of the day in an office and everybody's shoulders go down and, oh, I didn't even know that was on. And now I feel released from some sort of, you know, prison or something. So uh, Hongisto has shown that it's possible to use biophilic sound to improve privacy, to mask unwanted conversation, and at the same time that it's much more pleasant for people. And incidentally, before anybody asks, the old thing about running water making everybody want to go to the toilet is an old wives' tale. It's not true. Uh, it is. There's no scientific evidence for that whatsoever. I mean, you don't have to go to the bathroom the moment you sit by a, a stream. So we use that kind of sound, birdsong, some tonal elements, and we do it with a generative system. That is a system that's algorithmic. It's a computer, and it makes sound in real time. 
It's not a recording. It's actually created in real time, like a texture. So it is like a river going past. Looks similar all the time, but it's never the same. And it mimics a lot of natural scenarios, which are probabilistic, you know, stochastic. If you're in a forest, the birds don't all sing at once and then stay stay, stay silent for half an hour. There's a random distribution. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we mimic. So these are sounds that have been around for a lot longer than we have on this planet. Uh, my old friend Bernie Krauss, one of the world's leading nature sound recordists, talks about biophony, the sound of nature, and anthropophony, the sound of people, and geophony, the sound of the planet. So we're talking about a combination of geophony and biophony, and using that in a sophisticated, scientifically validated way to create environments in open plan offices which are health-giving as opposed to health-damaging, and which improve productivity because they aid concentration in places where people find it very hard to concentrate. We call it Moodsonic. Uh, there's a website, moodsonic.com. And we're just putting our first installation uh, next month in a big office in the US, which we're very excited about, seven floors of office. And it'll be onward and upward from there. We've got lots and lots of big companies really excited about this. So it's a big thing for us, this Moodsonic. And I really think it's going to make a big difference to millions of people. It's so interesting. I'm a bit of an, of an audiophile myself and, and always like to have some kind of sound and often my wife makes fun of me but i listen to essentially running water bird sounds nature sounds i'll have i'll put on like a youtube video just on a second monitor that's just like a stream running or something like that and i love having those sounds in the background so it's so fascinating that there's starting to be some research around that being really positive for for people and and having that in their environment Definitely. And, you know, it's no surprise because noise has been known for some years now to be the number one problem in open plan offices. You know, if you look at the Leesman Index or any of the uh, any of the people who are um, assessing people's uh, quality of life in, in these environments in which we spend huge parts of our lives, you know, there are people who spend, you know, a third of their lives in or even more in these kind of environments. Um, well, the sound of the built up spaces that we've created is not great. Uh, you know, that's what my TED talk about designing with the ears was all about. We spend the majority of our life indoors. And yet most of the rooms we're in are designed without any heed to the way they sound at all. Um, and that's a, a, a really big issue. I think architects need to start listening uh, a lot more than they have in the past. Um, but Moodsonic should make a contribution, I think, to standard offices. And incidentally, that's not the only thing we need to change. We need much more quiet working space in modern offices. Um, we need to think about the new way of doing it, which is activity-based working, where you have different environments in the office building and you encourage people to move to the environment that facilitates the kind of work they want to do, whether that's concentration, contemplation, communication, whatever it is, uh, collaboration. You know, open plans, fine. If you're, if you're, doing group work in collaborative way, but that poor person sitting at the desk over there while we're all shouting is unable to think. And that's where you need the differentiation. Tell me a little bit more zooming out slightly about the broader importance of crafting our soundscapes, because it, it seems like that's such an underutilized and, and, and misunderstood component of health and well-being and, and productivity. 
Oh, absolutely. Sound affects us in these four powerful ways that I defined in my original book, Sound Business, and I haven't had any reason to change them. That was back in 2007, I think. So physiologically, sound changes heart rate, hormone secretions, body chemistry, brain waves, breathing. You know, there are many rhythms in our body which are affected by the sound around us. It changes our feelings, our mood. So psychologically, sound is changing us all the time. We know that music is the most obvious example. But a lot of people find birdsong reassuring because we've learned when the birds are singing, things are normally safe. The third way is cognitively. So you can't understand two people talking at the same time. And that's what we've just been talking about in offices. You can't have somebody talking behind you and listen to the voice in your head when you're trying to write. It's very difficult. And then finally, behaviorally, which is the, the that's the work we've done at the Sound Agency a lot in retail is to create more pleasant retail environment sonically. Uh, I mean, it would obviously be stupid to have a shop or a shopping mall with a terrible smell in it. I mean, it's dumb, isn't it? It's amazing how many shops and shopping malls have got terrible sound. And it has exactly the same effect, which is we leave or we leave faster than we would. And we have a bad time and we're stressed and fatigued. And, uh, you know, it's just not intelligent design. So, with all of that power, sound is affecting us all the time. This is where I come back all the time to listening consciously. Because if I'm listening consciously and I'm aware of the effects that sound is having on me, then I can take responsibility for the sound I consume. And more than that, I can take responsibility also for the sound I create. And that's really where I would love everybody to get to. Um, and anybody listening to this, that's a, that's a tremendous place to be as a conscious listener, uh, we are more responsible for what we're putting into the world, the sound we're making, whether it's speaking in a powerful way or whether it's, you know, not upsetting people around us by by sodcasting with, uh, with music or with my sound or whatever it might be. And even more importantly, I can take responsibility for the sound I consume. So if I'm in some sort of noise, I can move. And I talk about an MBA in dealing with sound um, if it's nasty noise that you don't like particularly, the M is move. If you can't move and you're in an office or somewhere and you can't move, the B would be block and that's put headphones on. Ideally, if you're working, I wouldn't suggest playing music through headphones because that's just replacing one distraction with another one. Music's very distracting. It's a very dense sound. Well, most of it is, unless it's specifically designed to be background. And then if you can't block it, you haven't got headphones or for whatever reason, the only thing left to do actually is a, is a spiritual adjustment, which is to accept it. Because when you're in noise, a lot of the productivity loss comes from the anger. I can't concentrate in this ridiculous scenario. Well, if you actually say, all right, I'm here, I'm just going to do my best, the anger goes, and suddenly you're able to do far better than you would with all of that resistance going on. So it's move, block, accept. I love the analogy of smell. And if, if you were in an office that had a horrible smell or a store that has a terrible smell, something would be done immediately to fix it. And yet we tolerate terrible soundscapes uh, across our lives in many, many different areas. True. I'm curious for listeners who want to take action on what we've talked about today, who want to concretely implement it in some way, what would one piece of homework or action step be that you would give them to start taking action on these topics? I think a couple of things. First of all, start asking that question, what's the listening? It's, you know, it's one of the most powerful questions I could ever give anybody. And if you get into the habit of asking that question, 
it can transform your communication skills. So that's one thing. And the other wonderful thing I would suggest everybody to do is after listening to this podcast, go and listen to somebody that you love and really listen to them. Look at them. Don't do anything else at the same time. Give them your 100% attention. Then you may find people going, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, because they're not quite used to you being like that. It's an amazing gift to give. And I do encourage people to give that gift and keep on giving that gift because it really can transform things. And where can listeners find you, your work, the course, and and everything that you're doing online? Well, I have a website, juliantreasure.com. So there's a lot on there and you can get uh, a little mini course of video exercises in listening. They're absolutely free. You just put your email address in and we send them to you. Uh, The course is at speaklistenbe.com. And I think that's on a, a fairly big offer at the moment. So it's it's roughly half of the original price. So it'd be quite a good time to go by there, www.speaklistenb.com. And that's nine chapters, seven and a half hours of content from me, uh, video and audio content, lots and lots of downloadable exercises. Everything I know pretty much about speaking and listening skills is in there. The sound agency, if anybody's interested in Mood Sonic or Design Sound for Business, that's www.thesoundagency.com or there's also uh, moodsonic.com now as well. So those are the four URLs. Do check them out and I'd be delighted to hear from anybody. And I'm curious personally, is there any plan or or opportunity for Moodsonic and the soundscapes that you're creating, that especially I love the idea of them being algorithmically generated for people who may not be in an office space or want to listen to those on the go. Is that available to listen anywhere? Not yet, Matt. I would say with the emphasis on the yet, uh, we've got very, very exciting plans. The technology we've developed for these generative soundscapes is world leading and we're moving it on a pace this year. We've got a, a really significant development budget on it. So we're looking at this sound becoming intelligent, responsive, even artificially intelligent. So we're very, very excited about that. And one of the obvious spin-offs of that would be to d- deliver it through some sort of app so that people can access generative sound of this kind through a device and have it in their home. I mean, I love the idea of a baby cries and automatically a lullaby or some sort of soothing sound comes on through a nearby loudspeaker. That kind of responsiveness and design of appropriate sound is where we're heading. And we're very excited to be on that journey. Well, uh, you've got at least one person here who's very interested in that. Either way, Julian, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all this knowledge. And it was great to have you back on The Science of Success. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. And I hope this has given some benefit to some people and we've got some more listening out there in the world. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. 
Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. <laughs>